Every year, on the second Sunday in Advent, parishioners from St. David's in Austin join together with the ministry that is housed in the basement of their parish hall to throw a party, a Christmas party, for the neighbors who are experiencing homelessness. You have likely heard me reminisce about it about every time this year, but just in case you've forgotten, it's divine. The youth wrap the walls of the gym and the tables with festive wrapping paper. One of the best local barbecue restaurants provides the food. The band who plays Sunday morning jazz brunch just down the street provides the music. And there are gifts stacked in every corner. A parishioner who makes his living as a photographer does portraits with his fancy equipment, which are then printed and given to the neighbors on the spot. It's not often that someone looks them in the eye and asks to take a beautiful photograph of them. All are called by name. All are filled and sent away with leftovers. All are given gifts, as many as their hands and hearts can carry. It is a glimpse of God's kingdom because it is a gift to all, not just those who walk through the door with an expressed need to be fed. And it is one of the only moments all year long when those who worship upstairs spend time with those who receive social services downstairs. It is one of the only times of the year with those who, when those who seem to have plenty spend time with those who are presumed to be living with a deficit. I spent several years wondering, and clear, clearly still think about it every time this year, What if that one celebration became not the exception to the rule, but the means by which that community measured its health? I wonder what would happen if they unlocked the doors and started worshiping together every week instead of once a year. I wonder whether the perceptions of plenty and deficit would persist if they spent time in the company of one another more than just one afternoon. I wonder whether their ability to embody what it looks like to be a blessing to one another might be the roadmap for building God's kingdom in that part of the world. This morning's text from the prophet Isaiah seems to cast a vision for just such a thing. In fact, it is a holistic narrative about God's peaceable kingdom crammed into 11 short verses. Isaiah writes to Israel, who has experienced the destruction of the temple, and wonders about their future. Miraculously, he proclaims, they will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. Meaning, the temple will be built back and better than ever before. There seems to be hope for this nation who is down on their luck once again. The prophet paints a picture of a kingdom that is known for its wisdom, knowledge, compassion, and righteousness. It begins as a practical description as to what a community needs to flourish. But towards the end of the pericope, we are given a vision of God's peaceable kingdom, which includes all of creation. It is simultaneously a practical roadmap for Israel's leaders and a reminder that the people of God are made for the flourishing Of the whole earth. Reading this passage in the context of communal life leaves much for us to work with. At its core, I wonder if the prophet's words provide a hopeful and necessary challenge, a call to examine what it looks like to be a blessing. 
Isaiah writes, the wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Wolves don't live with lambs, nor leopards with kids. It's an audacious proposal that disrupts the food chain. And yet, I wonder if we are being challenged to imagine the impossible as truly possible. I wonder if we're being challenged to imagine what could happen if we spent time in the company of those whom we are least likely to be with on a regular basis. I wonder if our vocation to offer blessings is only possible when we stop thinking of this calling as transactional and trust that the God who loves us enough to want to be with us will teach us how to be with one another in love. I know there are a long list of worries that are born out of the proposal that a church might expand its vision and practice of community. Some are spoken of openly, such as the safety of children and the potential disruptions to worship. Many others are only inferred in polite company. The unease that comes with unwelcome smells, cleanliness, the potential for passing along germs, difference in life experiences or priorities. To be sure, anytime boundaries are crossed without careful negotiation, it can be disruptive for all involved. And yet, I wonder if our thinking about the risks, if I wonder if our thinking about the risks isn't altogether wrong. Can we be the church if we're not in the habit of shaping all God's people to be about the work of sharing God's blessings? I don't know exactly what this looks like for us, St. Michael's, but here are a few things that we should consider. On Thursday of this past week, a neighbor who grew up in Halls Hill, who has attended Callaway United Methodist Church her whole life, joined 30 of us to tell the story of that congregation. She began by saying, all my life, I've never been down this street or in this neighborhood. This was not somewhere that we were able to go. You may want to dismiss her sentiment and say that was then and this is now and of course she's welcome here whenever she wants. But this was the first time we've invited her. I don't know exactly what this looks like, St. Michael's, but I know we will never figure it out if we never leave this building. I don't know exactly what this looks like, St. Michael's, but I know many of us were inspired by listening to Presiding Bishop Michael Curry yesterday as he preached at the consecration of our new bishop. He encouraged us to recommit to the way of love. The way of Jesus of Nazareth, who healed and ate and loved his way from one village to the next. Jesus is not the problem. His followers are, Curry said. Meaning, where the message of Jesus has failed, it's the, message, it's the messenger's translation, not the message itself. I don't know exactly what this looks like, St. Michael's, but the wisdom of the prophet Isaiah makes it clear that it looks like being in relationship with those whom we might least expect. A church does not exist for the flourishing of the institution. The church exists to constantly remind God's people who they are and whose they are. Like Israel, the church has often lost its way, imagining that there are tasks to be completed or a leader who will help us fulfill that mission. The church exists to shape our hearts 
for the task of loving one another. The church exists to shape our hearts so that we are not consumed by the task of doing certain things, rather by being the type of person who is grounded in God's belovedness. The church exists to guide us on the journey from doing certain types of Christian things to being a certain type of person. This is a dramatic shift from worshiping a God whom we count on to do a lot of things for us to worshiping a God whom we worship for God's own sake. It is a shift from the instrumental to the devotional, from that which is necessary to that which is possible. It is a shift from the God who will save us from damnation to a God who opens the door to eternity. Wouldn't it be remarkable if there was a leader who gave us such a vision of God's peaceable kingdom? Actually, there, there was, and there is today. In fact, it is that very person who brings us here today to start walking in his footsteps. Amen.